If you enjoy the following podcast, please consider supporting the Stream Grace Network. Just visit streamgrace.com slash support. Hello and welcome to my corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin, and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable. Here we go. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. You know, I always tell you guys to grab a coffee, and not always do I follow my own advice and have a coffee, but today I do. And uh, message me if you want to know what kind it is. It's very good. It's the only curd coffee that I've liked ever in my life. And it's, yeah. But that's not today's sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Autumn. And the irony that just as you enjoy the outside temperatures again, your allergies go into hyperdrive. So thank you, Autumn, for such sweet sorrow. Today's guest is my good friend, Bruce Bartow. Bruce, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jeremy. Thanks for being here, man. It's my honor. (laughs) (laughs) I've known Bruce for a while. I've known him as, uh, well, before we met, I knew you as legend. Uh, We had some friends in common who spoke very highly of you. And then then I got to uh, go to church with you and spend some time. Um, and that was great. So. Our first contact was when I sent you off to Florida. It to was work the hurricanes. <laughs> it was not the uh, not the Miami school, but the actual hurricanes. That <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, which one was that? It was uh, uh, Hurricane Charlie Char- and all. Those yeah, yeah there was like four or five of them. There was a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, quick question for you: How is the apocalypse going for you these days? <laughs> well, um. Learning that maybe I should spend a little more time prepping. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I tell you what, it's happening so quick, isn't it? Yeah, the toilet paper I bought at the beginning is still still there, holding out. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Are you still rationing or no? <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, man, so you're uh, you're a chaplain, yeah? Yes. All right, tell me about that a little bit. Well, um, I work for Kim Ray Incorporated as their company chaplain. And I've been there since January of 2013. And I did a lot of disaster response chaplaincy with the Billy Graham organization and their rapid response team. But this is very different than that uh, in a lot of regards. It's, uh, I found it to be more of what I would envision being a full-time pastor. Mm. Um, we have... I find it interesting that you said what you would envision being a full-time pastor. We'll yeah. talk about that more. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I've never been one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, we do uh, weddings and funerals and visit in hospitals and those kind of things. Hmm. I teach a weekly Bible study um, because of different shifts. Uh, before COVID-19, there were four or five different ones on campus throughout the week. Um, but now I'm doing it via video and it's sent out to people with uh, through our internal communications department. And I do discipleship and mentoring and write a word for the day that goes out. Everybody gets an email at Kim Ray and anybody else that'd like to get it, I can put them on the list. And That's cool. Yeah. So I know for me, um, it was news to think that a company like Kim Ray, which is oil and natural gas, right? Yes. Energy company, mm-hmm. um, that they would have a chaplain. <laughs> so my question to you is about that is, did you, I mean, obviously you had that gig, but like, uh, do you do you have a 
a group of other chaplains on the planet that kind of live in the same realm as you do in that way? Well, there are. It's it's not a uh, a huge following, I guess you'd say. You know, of course, I'm not leading anything in that regard. It's it's new to me uh, since 2013. Um, there are other companies I'm aware of that have chaplains. Uh, one of the men I used to work with uh, at a local ministry started a ministry business hmm. where they provide chaplains for corporations, and many of them can't afford a full-time one, so they they uh, have one of their chaplains is on call for that company maybe one day a week or half a day a week or two days a week or something like that. Uh, so there's a number of them out there. Uh, it's just not as um, widely known, mm-hmm. I guess, as, it, as other things in the ministry. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a very unique place. I I realized recently that um, I've done a lot of ministry since well since high school really most, as a layman up until 1989 and full time since then uh, in the counseling ministries and so forth. But this is the first time I've done ministry with people I do life with all day every day mm. five days a week on the job. It's a very different dynamic. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. They don't just come see me for an hour and go home and try to figure this out. You know, they, I'm with them. You know, I see them at their best and worst and all places in between. Yeah. Yeah. And get to walk through life with them. I, I really like that. It's a, but it's a very different dynamic than what, um, I've experienced before in ministry. Yeah. Cause even in counseling ministry, typically you're at best once a week. I would right. think. Yeah. Right. Which is not too different than pastoring a church once a right. week for so many people. And a few of those people in counseling became friends and that we would see each other other places. And then after the counseling experience was over, continued a relationship. But that was a very small percentage. Yeah. It, it seems to me like that would be a challenge um, to transition from I'm your counselor to I'm your friend. It is. It's a, it just takes some unique dynamics in a way. Yeah. Well, for me, if you want to know how. Yeah, no, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, for my, all the, this is good for all the counselors who are yeah, trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, on my side, um, very early in the counseling ministry, the Lord really helped me see that um, I'm really not on a different plane than anybody else on the planet. And um, I can't present an image of myself that is above anybody else. Yeah. You know, uh, I told my wife one day, I said, you know, I'm really worried about myself. She said, why? I said, well, I seem to relate to all my clients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, am I that messed up? She just kind of looked at me kind of Yeah, funny, I was going to say, obviously, for those not listening, I've worked with your wife for several years and I know what her response to that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, she is honest, but, uh, but then I realized that's just all of us. Yeah. You know, there isn't anything different about one to the next. All temptations are common to man. We all face, some of the details are different, but at the root, they're all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And so when that line is crossed from counselor to friend, uh, minister to uh, to uh, compadre, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, it's when, when they've allowed me to be real and I've uh, taken the chance to be real and we get to accept each other just like we happen to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's still some mentoring that goes on, but it's usually a two-way street after that. Yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing I'm finding, uh, you know, here in the network I I do, uh, I'm on four different podcasts, three of which have people besides me. And I'm finding, <laughs> yeah, one of them is a Bible study that's short. Okay. So, um, but yeah, the other, the other three, what I'm finding is a tremendous, tremendous level of counseling and ministry just by having a conversation with someone across from me. Absolutely. You know, and it's not, I mean, to me, it's not fair because I don't have to pay for it and it's really great. But so thank you to all of my guests to this point. I do have a theme. I've had like five weeks of counselors. Let's figure this one out, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe yeah, not well. on purpose, but God knows what he's doing, sure. if nothing else. So uh, before we get too far into this, I want to dive back in. Let's go back to, to little Bruce. Let's okay. talk about um, where you grew up and what that was like. Okay, well, uh, my dad was going to a Bible college in South Carolina, and I was born during those three or four years in Greer, South Carolina. Uh, They moved back to my mom and dad and two older brothers and took me with them Mm -hmm. uh, back to Miami, Florida. Uh, Dad actually came from Canada when he was one. His folks moved from Canada to Miami. But anyway, so he grew up in Miami as well. And so I grew up in Miami, Florida, graduated in 1970, you know, Go Rams. <laughs> <laughs> we have a huge listenership down there in Miami. Yeah, I'm so, sure. <laughs> uh, so they'll appreciate that. Yeah. And um, what do you want to know about that? Well, I'll years? tell you what. Tell me uh, what was, uh, what were you like? Like, I, I, I know what you're like today. What mm-hmm. were you like as a kid? Were you the same kid? Did you have some differences? Well. Um, Personality wise. I, I was youngest of three. And. uh enough younger than the other two that they kind of grew up together. And I grew up mm. kind of tagging along at a distance. Um, I, I think that when I look back on my life, I've realized that I tended to gravitate towards things I did by myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I learned to play the guitar, tried band that didn't really work, you know, working with a band. So, you know, that was back in the sixties. So, you know, we we're all going to be rock and roll stars. Yeah, I was right? going to say well, Beatles, but, and yeah, I wound up, <laughs> you know, sitting on a on a tall stool in coffee shop, you know, playing the guitar by myself and singing, you know, Simon and Garfunkel stuff or whatever. Yeah. And I liked uh, in sports. Mm. I competed in gymnastics. You're on a team, but you actually compete by yourself. Yeah, you just do your own thing out there and get judged and. Um, it didn't. It never occurred to me that I gravitated toward that until a number, a few years ago. I realized, huh, my my root belief system is I'm just by myself. Mm. That was kind of a fog that or mist that's been around me most of my life. And I realized in Christ that that's not true. Yeah, but it still doesn't mean doesn't mean you don't feel that way, you know. So that was growing up. Uh, mom, dad, you know, it was kind of classic family. Mom stayed home, fixed dinner, and kept house and. Ran herd on three boys that drove her crazy. And, right. Um, what was your favorite meal growing up that mom made? Oh gosh, shrimp. There it is. We would go catch our own shrimp. We had as much as three hundred pounds of shrimp in the oh, freezer at a time. My goodness. We would catch shrimp, and she would fix them until there was no tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that sounds like a terrible childhood. Yeah, I, I can eat some shrimp. So you've been really struggling with the victim mindset, I guess. <laughs> That's huh? true. I've suffered my whole life. Well, and then God moved me to Oklahoma. There's not a, a fresh shrimp. Yeah. Anywhere. I don't know to tell you about that. Have you been, are you still angry with God on this one or have you guys worked it out? Yeah, we're, we've made peace over it. (laughs) 
So, uh, so did you? So, how long till you left Miami? I mean, were you an mm-hmm. adult when you left Florida, or were you a child still, or what? Well, I graduated, like I said, in '70. I stuck around. I worked at Sears and Robux for six months. I worked for the post office for six months, and, and I decided yeah, I think I'll go to school. And a guy who had been our youth minister and mentored us a lot, and really helped us begin to refocus as hippies in the 60s on Jesus. Mm. Of course, the Jesus movement was in full swing. Right, I was going to say one yeah. way, right? The big yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Keith had, Green and those we, fellas. Yeah, we hung out with Arthur Blessed and wow. did some of his stuff. With I built him a cross one day that wow. he carried around and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I loved woodworking. I started taking woodworking classes when I was literally 10 years old. Oh, wow. And I did that all the way through you're really good at it too <laughs> like there's stuff in my house that I, I thought when you were coming over i thought well i should show show bruce that no i shouldn't show bruce this i don't want to show him what i did because you'll figure it out i love this desk well I, I i you wouldn't believe if i said i bought this somewhere would you oh no because you knew that i made this <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a Gavin and Jeremy project. Well, that I'll take because this was a Jeremy solo project. After, was it? Yeah. And it, okay. um, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it was the first attempt. I've already got Mark two in my mind. And, I love it. Well, thanks. Yeah. The, the, the second one we're going to make, I'm going to do an epoxy <laughs> pour. So Those I'm, are cool. Yeah. Um, Gavin's working on it right now. He's doing some stuff for his, for his own world. And I'm going to go in and, and uh, I have some ideas. Going to router out some stuff and yeah. use some rough edge and very cool. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> odds are pretty good it's going to be a disaster because it'll be my first one. But that's why this is an audio podcast and not video. So nobody has to see it. <laughs> so yeah, back to you. Woodworking. Yeah. So um, nineteen years old, trying a couple different things. Realized I think I'll go to school and several of the. Members of that youth group were headed to Oklahoma for a summer training program at a local, at a ministry in Norman, Oklahoma. So I went with them for the summer and decided, hey, I'd like to stay here and just go to school. So I went up starting school the summer of 1971 at OU. And uh, basically, I stayed in Oklahoma until 1993. There you go. Then went to North Carolina for 10 years and came back to Oklahoma in 03. So awesome. But anyway, so that's, that's how I wound up out of Florida. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about you going to school at OU because okay. we've had some, I, I know a couple of <laughs> stories, but I want you to talk about some of the stuff you did with athletics. Sure. Um, and, and, uh, the laundry story. <laughs> I really think this is a great story. Do you mind telling this story? Oh, no. It's my one claim to fame in life. <laughs> I'd love to tell this story. Good. Cause I think everyone's going to get a kick out of this. <laughs> well, um, out-of-state tuition was rough, and I was it was kind of paying my own way through, so I figured out how to become an in-state resident, which meant I literally couldn't be supported by my family. So I asked them not to support me anymore, which was wow. weird. Yeah. 19-year-olds aren't the smartest, you know, not the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer. But then I had to support myself. Well, I got a job working for the athletic department at University of Oklahoma, as the laundry assistant. And my brother, who was here, got the other laundry assistant position. So both of us took that job. And what it meant was we did all the laundry for all the teams at the University of Oklahoma. And that's a lot of laundry. Yeah. You know, and a lot of sweat, you know, in those things. But anyway, for, for the, <laughs> now this is 1972, I think, is when this started. Right. Um, you got $15 a month. 
your books out of the book depository, whatever it was, for uh, the athletic department so I didn't have to buy books. Gotcha. And you got to eat your meals in the athletic cafeteria, <laughs> which was like killer. Right. I was going to say, that's probably the best, right? <laughs> we would come to work during three days before school started and they were getting steak. All you could, all you could eat. Okay. Now who was the head three coach? Three times a day. Um, at that time. Fairbanks when I started. Okay. It and ended up being Switzer, Switzer right? Yeah. 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 So yeah, they're, they're living high on the hog. Oh man. Yeah. So anyway, in the second year I got the same deal with $45 a month. In the third year I got the same deal with $75. Oh month. wow. There well, you go. Back then you could actually do something with, a few dollars to, sure. you know, in the early seventies. But, um, my one claim to fame story, this is the one you were looking for. I'll mm-hmm. bet you, uh, it was termed the game of the century, right? Right. OU against Nebraska. They go out on the field that, that year. OU did in pink jerseys. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't put this out. Those guys might look me up and beat me up. Or well, something. We'll, but yeah, the, that's still the deal is, you see, we had always washed the reds and the white jerseys together. They're nylon. They don't fade mm-hmm. unless they happen to be brand new. Wow. Well, they got a brand new set of game jerseys, reds and whites for the various times that they wear red or white. And I just threw them all in this giant washing machine that would hold literally 280 jerseys. Oh my gosh. Wow. It's a big washing machine. Yeah. And washed them together. Like I always had, well, they were pink and uh, I just <laughs> left you know, <laughs> yeah, that was it for you, right? You just decided to bail. Yeah, at that point? No, I didn't. I did get a note from the head equipment guy that I shouldn't come around except maybe between two and four in the morning for a while. <laughs> Tell that kind of the memory faded away, but the faded away. That's yeah. cute. <laughs> the The redeeming part of the whole story is OU one. Right. See, there you go. And I believe I did that. I think you did too. I think that Nebraska teased OU so much about their pink jerseys that they just reared up and beat the daylights out of see them. and really it, it's a shame we didn't have the susan b Comins thing going around <laughs> then because then you you'd have had well we did this for awareness right? that's right that's right i love that story bruce <laughs> so you can actually get through back then you could get through college and work your way through and not have any debt, student debt. debt at the end I just, that's a that's a fantasy world today. I told somebody about being able to do that, and he went to OU, and OU said, no, we don't do that anymore. The IRS got involved in that because mm. by giving you all this stuff, nobody's paying any taxes. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, and, you know, that's the thing that's frustrating, and I'm not going to get too much into this yeah. high horse here, but let's process this for a minute. You're going to you're gonna change, you're going to go after a school so that you get taxes from Brand new adults who are trying to get an education to increase the nation's GDP. I know. <laughs> Good call there, IRS. Way to go. <laughs> no sarcasm in that at all. <laughs> My goodness. If only this was a political show. Yes, it's not. It's not. So uh, so you move back yes. to North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, I'd gone on staff. I'd... I'd um, Back up a little bit. Did carpentry when I got out of school. I loved that. Put myself through school doing a lot of carpentry. I thought, well, I like this. Not what I studied, so I'll just do this. And I did that for about 20 years. Mm. And a uh, major transition in life around 80, uh, 8, 89, wound up going on staff with Scope Ministries in Oklahoma City and taking their training. And I worked there for five years. And so 
um, I wound up going at an invitation of some churches in North Carolina and starting a new ministry there in 1993. And I worked there for 10 years. We called it Hope Ministries. And then the um, vice president position was opening up its scope, and I was invited to come back to do that, and I did. Hmm. So I came back in 03 um, and worked there until 10 years until I went to Kim Ray as their chaplain in 2013. Yeah. So uh, what point did you start your family? Because at some point in there, before (laughs) I know you started a family. Yeah. Uh, My oldest son was born in 1976, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen. And uh, my next son was born in 79. That's Joshua. He was, um, and the third son is in uh, 1983. Uh, that's Luke, and then my oldest daughter, uh, she was born in 1990, that's Rachel, and then the youngest of all of them, number five, is Sarah, she was born in uh, 1990, hmm. no, I think that right, yeah, Yeah. Rachel I, was born in 85, you're doing way better than I would, Rachel, I've only got three, and... Ra- Rachel was born in 85, <laughs> two years after Luke, gotcha. and uh, Sarah was born in 90, hmm. yeah, very good. So, um, how was, so tell me a little bit about North Carolina, kind of what was impactful there for you? What, uh, would anything stick out? Anything you learned there that is significant? Hmm. Concerning just life? Just anything. Any, yeah. Just anything. Um, yeah, God has the whole plan in mind when you start on something he's led you to do. Hmm. So that when you run up against those places that you didn't expect to happen, um, you can trust that it's not taking him by surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff, fun stuff, hard stuff, tragic stuff. It's all, that's just our life. Yeah. Everybody faces those things. And uh, being able to uh, trust that he he was ahead of the game. He was out in front of it. Um. And I, I say that because one of the things I believe I've learned uh, through life is that there's a lot of forces around us. You know, for instance, we take a lot of destructive forces like electricity and we harness it and we use it for something good. Yeah. Uh, wind. You know, I've seen hurricanes and tornadoes, hurricanes there and tornadoes here mm-hmm. just tear things apart, but we use them to generate energy that run our light bulbs and stuff. And uh, So God is so creative he can take the destructive forces that hit us and turn it like it says in Romans 828 for good mm-hmm. uh, some of that um, the fruition of it is still out there right you know don't see it yet mm-hmm. uh, but because he's faithful I believe it'll happen yeah and um, yeah so I think that was one of the big things I personally came away from my 10 years in North Carolina with, I saw him lead us there, take care of us there, uh, comfort us during the hard times, give us some outrageously good times, uh, made some good friends that remain good friends today. Um, and then it was off to something new. Yeah. You know, I think some of the things that can perplex us from time to time, and I'll speak maybe just for myself here, but there's there's a moment in my life that I can point to where I absolutely knew that I missed God's plan for me. Like he said, hey, I want you to do this, 
and I got impatient <laughs> and took a different route. Okay. And it was a big difference. It was a difference between moving to Colorado or not. So okay. it, it wasn't like something, you know, sure. trivial. And so <clears throat> what, and I, and I was really like kind of slapped in the face with, yes, I totally missed this. Like mm-hmm. as it happened, mm-hmm. I had committed to work at a church, um, that I, I basically, I felt like, okay, let's back up. I, I, uh, had resigned a, a post where I'd been working with our friend, Sam Hendrick, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd resigned the post there and I felt like I was supposed to go to Colorado, but I had no pathway to Colorado. I'd had no, I wasn't putting in applications or anything like that. So it was just kind of like, I'm not sure what to do here. I was mm-hmm. accustomed to waiting, uh, for opportunity and then right. just moving. Right. So <clears throat> time came and went and, uh, I had in my mind this deadline of the first of the year, which was about three month time frame, four month time okay. frame. And I had an opportunity to work at a church here locally that, uh, I was drawn to for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being pride, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and so the time frame for where I would start at that church kept moving up. Hmm. And so it moved up by a total of a month. Well, after my first day on the job, I got a voicemail from a pastor in Colorado Springs. Hmm. And I said Colorado. Specifically, I felt like Colorado Springs, okay, which is even stranger. So I get a call from this pastor in Colorado Springs. I had applied for no job. I had said nothing. And so I get a random call. <laughs> uh, and I, I didn't even get a chance to talk to him because I called back left him a voicemail that I'd already taken a position and that was it. So for me, it was like, man, I just really missed this. Hmm. Cause who would have thought you could pick up a, cause I had no family there, no nothing. You just had this random gut feeling. I was supposed to go there then. And, and again, at that time had not been moved up. It was in December. I got that call like December 4th. Hmm. So <clears throat> what I find that I struggled with in all that was just, okay, now what? Like yeah. as soon as this is made clear to me is the rest of my, like, what do you do? You right. know, it's kind of right. like when people talk about divorce and adultery, mm-hmm. it's like, well, what are you supposed to do? You know? Um, and so, uh, and more specifically when people talk about if you get a divorce and get remarried, that there's a biblical teaching that would say you're in adultery. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and it's like, well, something's not two plus two doesn't equal four here in this right. equation. There's too many problems with it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's what I think I've struggled with in the past is, was I, out of God's will, like the whole time? Was it just a singular moment? But when God sees things as one whole unit, one big picture, it really, you can't wrap your mind around God's perspective in that. But what do you think about that? I mean, what would you say as a counselor? What would you say to me about that? (laughs) (laughs) No pressure here. Well, you know, are we still going to go to lunch after this? Oh, sure, man. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it depends on how you answer it, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe that we are, I've been using the term posable action figures, Mm. that God has orchestrated this whole thing and you're just a player on the table. You're just one of the the little G.I. Joe guys out there and he decides, okay, you're on the bad guy's side and this other one's on the good guy's side. So we're going to knock the bad guy down, make the good guy stand up. I don't believe that. I think he's given us a marvelous part of our being that's like his the ability to choose yeah now choices have consequences but jesus proved to us that god is bigger than consequences yeah it doesn't make the consequence not be there you know if i do something that causes something to happen it's there but god's grace is bigger than what's there 
And you and I are never, as his children, disqualified. Okay, we missed this opportunity. I guess you're just out of the picture, dude. Just mm-hmm. go stand in the corner. I don't want to see you. That's not him. He actually knew we were going to do that before it all began. So, um, But he uses that, I believe, as a loving father for a teaching moment. Mm. You know, whom the Lord loves. He corrects. He disciplines. And, yeah. and that means to train, because it says later discipline trains us. Yep. Uh, he corrects the ones he receives. So we're loved and accepted. We're loved and received. And he uses all of our choices, good, bad, and otherwise, to train us in something. And I believe that something is to know him better and to trust him more so we follow him more um, closely. You know, and that's a, that's, to me, that's maybe the most important thing I've ever learned Mm. is that uh, I wasn't created to see what I would do. I was created to show what he could do, but he's not using me like a little posable action figure. Like I said, he's, he's training me as his child that he loves dearly enough to die for, um, to know him and trust him. And so when I am standing in front of somebody and they need to hear words that when I open my mouth, it's the words he wants to say to them. That's going to use my personality, my (laughs) unique weird way of saying things and whatever else. It, it, he doesn't erase me, mm-hmm. uh, but he's letting me be the vessel through whom he talks. That's why all the, you look at this, the scriptures, the writers were anywhere from profound scholars like Isaiah, his Hebrew, they say was immaculate, very high form of Hebrew. And then there was Amos, you know, or Amos. <laughs> he was just a sheep herder. Yeah. And he talked like one and he wrote like one. It's a very common, you know, scratched out on a napkin kind of prophecy there. Mm. But God spoke through both of them using their unique personality and their education level and everything else. And one's words is aren't more gods than the others. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of rambled off on that. No, but I don't good. I don't believe we can miss God's overall plan. Yeah. We take detours. He'll show us the way to go. And if we don't go that way, he, he can redirect us to get us there eventually. Yeah. And he will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, that's kind of the thing that, I, as I saw, you know, that, that move, the, the relationships that I encountered in the time that I was at the quote unquote wrong place, mm-hmm. um, have been lifelong mm-hmm. relationships that I value Amen. so much. And yeah. so it's like, well, you know, when people, because one of the questions I ask in this, and I always try to find a way to word it to actually get the right kind of um, response. But one of the questions I kind of ask a lot of times in these conversations podcasts is your biggest regrets. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it depends on how you look at things, right? Most of the people I, I interview are relatively optimistic folks. So regrets is, I mean, even in the failures or the things they wished, you know, didn't happen a certain way, they, they don't really wish it didn't happen because of all the good that came from it. And that's kind of where I was in that whole thing. My wife asked me, the other day, uh, she was pondering a line in a movie we had watched, and she said, if you absolutely knew the outcome of some of the circumstances we've gone through, would mm-hmm. you still enter those circumstances? And I hated to say yes. I mean, I really did. I didn't want to yeah. say yes because some of it's really sucked. Yeah. But, but yeah, of course I would. 
Because the good so far outweighs the bad. And I think the difficult time we have when we're going through crap, we rarely enjoy the good. Right. But we all the time lament the bad. Yeah. And I don't, and we got to fix that, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The mind, mind, my mind is always looking for the solution that I should have seen then. Well, Mm. I can't change it (laughs) then. Uh, and who knows if this great ideas that come up with now would have even worked then. Right. You know, and, but I've wasted a lot of time just mulling over the past. That major change in life that led to me going on staff with Scope was a really difficult place. And a friend of mine one day said, Bruce, one day you'll look back at this time and you'll thank God for this. And I got <laughs> probably within his personal space zone. <laughs> I'm not saying that my saliva was hitting him in the face, but I was probably that close mm. and said rather loudly, Larry, I will never thank God for this. Mm. It is too bad, too eagle, too destructive. Almost a year to the date later, mm. um, during that year, kind of desperation, I did something that led to me seeing God in a way I never knew you could. And I was standing in the front yard of a house that I was losing to foreclosure. Hmm. Life was just, had come apart at the same, hadn't gotten any better. But I stood there and I said, Father, if it took all of this to bring me to the place where I am now, like I, so that I know you the way I do at this moment, then all of it was worth it. Yeah. Oh, dang. Now I got to go apologize to Larry. <laughs> I really did. I thought I yelled at Larry that I could never, and I'm actually showing gratitude for what happened. Now I don't believe that that made what happened good, mm-hmm. but God is good. Yes. And there's a big difference in that. You know, some would teach us that everything is God orchestrated down to the most evil and wicked things on earth because he'll work some good out of it. And for some reason he feels like that evil, wicked thing needs to happen. I don't, I don't believe that personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe God is so good that there's nothing, there's no destructive force the enemy of the world system and people around us can conjure up that is bigger than his ability to, I mean, think of the worst thing that ever happened in all of human history. That was the day they murdered Jesus Christ. Yeah. What was the best thing that ever happened in all of human history? The day they murdered Jesus. Yeah. The day he died for my sins, was buried and resurrected. I mean, How do you take the very worst and make it the very best? Well, the worst is still the worst, but God is still the best. Right. And that's, um, I find that to be maybe one of the most important messages I think I could share with someone, but when they're in the throes of the pain, it's hard and it? it's real hard to hear and find a way to package it that they're going to go, Oh man, thanks for telling me that. Yeah. You know, they, they kind of look at you like what? And so, a lot of empathy and, you know, entering in pain with them and just walking with them through it. Cause I actually can't show somebody God in that way. Mm. Only God can show himself to that person in the way they need to see him. Yeah. And I can be kind of there and pointing and comforting. And when I was doing disaster response chaplaincy, they called it the ministry of presence. Mm. You know, when you're standing like I did, nine different times for two weeks at a time down in New Orleans and St. Bernard Parish after Katrina and everything they know in life has been obliterated except that they're still breathing. Mm -hmm. 
what are you going to say? Well, obviously, you tell them that a foolish man builds their house on the... <laughs> okay, maybe not that. <laughs> to all you friends down there in New Orleans, Jeremy didn't really mean I that. I did not mean that. <laughs> no, I just... I'm, I'm quoting the, the obvious you know, it, yeah, lunacy know. of that I statement. Know, I know. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, it turned out I didn't have to really say anything. Yeah. The fact that I was even standing there said what they needed to hear. Mm-hmm. And one day... Somebody gave all the chaplains a pallet load of bananas. Well, if we ate all we could, we still couldn't have eaten them by any stretch by the time they went bad. So they said, well, let's just take them with us. So we're walking around the neighborhoods, you know, giving people a bottle of water. And I handed this guy a banana and he began to weep. And I said, wow. y'all right? And he goes, I haven't had fresh fruit in weeks. Wow. And a banana changed that guy's life. Hmm. And I didn't say anything. I just showed up. I talked to him, let him tell his story and prayed with him. And when I walked away, the house was still gone and he was still searching through rubble and all that, but he was different. Hmm. And I didn't really do anything but give the guy a banana and a bottle of water and just stand there. Yeah. You know, this is, it reminds me of a counseling quality that I've heard. I'm not claiming to be anything near an expert on this, but uh, when I've spent time in, with counselors, um, Nine times out of 10, what they're providing for me is a palette to get past and figure out my stuff for myself. Right. It's not really what they're saying ever. Right. Um, and maybe that's not always true, but um, I think that that's the thing that is so amazing about God and how he's created us is the simple fact that um, he created me to have all the answers because he's in me. He's mm-hmm. providing all those answers. But yeah. what a, another person, a third party tends to do is just cl- bring some clarity, some peace, some mm-hmm. calm, some normality so right. that you can process that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, um, I'll never forget this moment when I was, I'd been counseling for about two, three years, I guess. I was still at Scope the first time. And I was walking back to my office and thinking about the session I just had. And I was talking to myself. I do that a lot because I'm by myself all the time. I'm glad that I'm not the only one that does that. That's good. (laughs) And just as I got to the door of my office, I stopped and I look at the doorway and I said, Father, it's like I've got him to the door and you're in there and we're standing here at the door and I don't know how to take him in there. Hmm. And there was one of these moments when I know the Spirit of God spoke to me. And he said, oh, I won't let you do that. I thought, what? (laughs) Then what am I doing here? He said, um, for you to take him into that moment would be like the best man going on the honeymoon with the bride and groom. Mm. He said, that moment is for me and him alone. He said, where were you, son, when you finally saw it? It was just me and you. Mm. He said, it's that way with everyone. Uh, No one can actually introduce another person to God. We can talk about him. We can encourage them. We can tell them our own story. But ultimately, God's going to catch them off guard in some place they don't expect in a moment that seems really off what, again, what they would expect. And boom, he's there. Yeah. You know, it's Paul on the road to Damascus, and boom, there's a bright light out of heaven. Well, who expected that? Yeah. You know, uh, it was Moses in a burning bush. It, God has been showing us that's the way he does it since the beginning. For some reason, we're still surprised. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Are we expecting to do it we're expecting Right. We expect him to be, you know, just call and go, oh, are you busy? 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll, call, I'll call back if yeah. you want. I'm sorry. You're probably busy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I believe he is moving each one of us, especially uh, towards that moment when it's just him and him and me. Mm-hmm. You know, he God and that one person in a way that will forever change them yeah. in what their view of God is and their ability to trust him. Again, it's, just, it's, a, it's a big step, but it's just one of the steps towards knowing him and trusting him. Yeah. You said something earlier, and I wrote this down because I wanted to just mention this, but uh, you talked about this table being a Gavin and Jeremy project. So, uh, you know, Gavin Lacefield is one of my closest friends, and one of the biggest lessons I learned from him was, and it was, I promise he didn't mean to teach this lesson because we rarely do, right? But I was, I enjoyed working with him in his shop. He's an upholsterer and right. um, by education and by trade. And um, I, we were working on a project. I, I did it for, you know, just to learn something. I love doing that. So I go in there and we're working on this project. And I remember asking him, okay, so what are we going to do? And he said, well, we're going to do this. And I said, all right, we're going to do next. He said, well, we'll probably do this. And that was the first clue right there. The first thing was, this is what we're going to do. The second thing was a probably, hmm. which was weird to me in general. Sure. But I took it out with a grain of salt. Then I said, what next? And he's like, well, I'm not sure. Wait, so we got a, definitely a, probably like a 14 step process and you know the next step or the one we're on. You think you know the second one and you have no idea for the third step. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that's just weird, but Hey, not my project. I'm not going to worry about it. Right. Right. Now that's easy to say. I still worried about it because I'm that kind of guy. But, um, <laughs> but I think the thing is, I, you know, I like to have everything worked out before I dive into something. Mm-hmm. And so many times that paralyzes me because if I can't work out step seven or eight, then I don't do anything. And, and this is what I loved about what he did because he had the only thing he had to go on was a vision right? He knew what he was going to create. Right. And he knew what step he was on. Right. And from that, he could kind of assume the next step, hence why the probably. (laughs) And, and here's the crazy part. So we start down this project and there's mistakes made. And when I say mistakes, things that were not intentional. Right. And I remember specifically in this one piece we were doing, it was a a chandelier made out of some, um, I think it was cedar. Okay. Uh, really cool deal. And so we're drilling holes for the lights and things weren't working out. Well, what we, we didn't, we started measuring with one at the end of the wood instead of zero. <laughs> so of course things weren't working out. You know what I mean? So you're trying right. to evenly draw, do these holes. Like, well, there's not enough room. We can't put a hole at, at the end. There's no, it's empty space. <laughs> so suffice to say that it had different number of lights coming out of it. Sure. And we got all done with the project and we took it. And that's one of the features that the person who commissioned it liked the most is they had set a certain number, but they didn't, they weren't happy with it. Like when they saw it, they're like, that's so much better than what I'd envisioned. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think what I learned more than anything is like, man, just, just, just do it. And I think it's right. a picture of trusting God in the process. Hmm. Even if we make a mistake, right? Right. It's, and, and I love what you said that God is, just no matter what happens, God is just that much better or that much more gooder to mm-hmm. use that yeah. incorrect English. Absolutely. And <clears throat> I think that that's, man, the the way that you worded it was really fantastic for me personally here, because what I'm really recognizing is that that age old question, right? Does God cause bad things to happen so that, well, let me just say this. God doesn't need to cause bad things to happen. 
We have a free will. I promise you, <laughs> bad things are going to happen. That's right. I mean, you know, yeah. but no more than is a flashlight. Does a flashlight doesn't need to cause darkness? Right. That what that shows is this. It, to me, it's a it's almost a picture of our own identity crisis. Yeah. We relate to God, saying, "Well, God has to have bad things happen in order for good things to happen, so He can feel good about Himself." <laughs> like really, like seriously, yeah. what would does God's not sitting there going, "Well, I've got to find something good to do." I mean, wouldn't God just love a world where the no bad things happen? I mean, that's where that's where He's headed, as yeah. far as our timeline goes. Yeah, if He didn't, if He doesn't love that heaven's going to be terrible for him <laughs> right it's like wow talk about yeah. you know but i think that's the thing is you know um recognizing that it doesn't matter in fact that's the glorious aspect of it no mm. matter how much bad you can come up with god will always trump that right with something good yeah. what a fantastic and and guys those of you who are listening right now my goodness the time to learn this lesson is not why you're in the midst of crap. Some of you right now may be in the midst of crap, and I'll tell you what, just pause this, go listen to some James Taylor. Um, Mexico's a good song to listen to when you're... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and after you're you're done being upset and frustrated, come back and listen to this. Because no matter what, that's the reality. God is going to use whatever crap you're going through right now. He's going to turn that to good. Yeah. And it's a matter of you seeing that. Do you know... Uh... I know you know him. His name's Danny. He's a bowyer. Makes oh yeah bows, yeah. Bows. yeah. He he and I were talking one day, and he was wondering about God's ability to use people who seem to be difficult. Um, and I looked at him and I said, "Well, have you ever gotten a stave of osage orange or something like that that looked like it was unusable to make a bow, but you made a bow out of it anyway?" And he goes, "Oh yeah." He said, well, think of you being God and the bow being, the, the stave of, o, of Osage is you. Mm. And everybody looks at it and goes, you can't make a bow out of that. And God says, watch me. Mm-hmm. And it's not because the Osage. If he was a redneck, he'd say, hold my beer. That's right. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't say, um, man, I wish you were a better mm-hmm. piece of Osage. Because you know what? He made the Osage. Mm-hmm. You know. He made me. He made you. He knows where the knots are and the twists are and everything else. And he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He is forming us in his image. There's not any part of the process of completing what he started in you and me that he's puzzled about, Mm -hmm. that he's wringing his hands over. And I got to set this one in the corner and think about that for a while. I have no idea I'm going to fix this dude. No, he's already knows, you know, and well, I didn't, what about that storm that hit and caused that tree to go crooked? Well, that's all right. I can handle crooked. And he just does his thing. Um, again, I think that, that in order to try to make peace with that, a lot of people have bought the idea then, well, then God caused all these evil things to happen. Yeah. But he tempts no one with evil. He can't be tempted with evil. You know, there's nothing evil about him. He's only good. But he's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Evil doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> right. Man, that is good. That is good. All right. So uh, we've got about 10, 15 minutes left here. And uh, I want to ask you about, uh, tell me some of your biggest role models in life. People who've really had an impact on you. Well, not in particular the chrono- chronological order. I'll just talk about them as they come to mind. Sure. Um. One was a guy named Jack Holt. 
He was the associate Baptist Student Union director or one of them, men on staff at OU when I came out here in 1971. And uh, he later uh, went into a small home repair business. And when I got out of college and I actually went to work for him, worked for him for five years. Uh, man loves Jesus, okay? And he loves Jesus in real moments in life. Hmm. And he loves, he passes on the love of Jesus in real ways to other people. Um, doesn't mean he won't quote a verse or something once in a while, but he's more likely to show up and fix your gate, hmm. you know, or whatever, and show you the love of Christ. And so he was he was a major impact. Before that was Brett Yon. He was our youth minister in, in high school. He was... <laughs> Uh, to take on a bunch of hippies in the 60s in Miami, Florida, he was either crazy or tough. I don't Man. know. But, uh, he, uh, <laughs> we'd be at his house at all weird times of the day, sometimes 6 o'clock in the morning. He he actually got us to come to Bible studies at 5 and 6 on the morning on Saturday morning. As a teenager? Yeah, as a teenager. That's weird. Because he promised to take us to the beach after it was over. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> but Hey, the, either way. At the beach, we had to walk up and down the beach and corner strung out hippies and tell them about jesus <laughs> <laughs> but brett had a major impact and uh there were some other people in in oklahoma um one that was more recent it was back in the uh oh i'd say anywhere from 03 to 08 somewhere in that oh maybe 2010 uh t.w hunt mm. wrote a book called the mind of christ he was a child prodigy, he went to Juilliard as a pianist. He was an amazing pianist, but he taught evangelism through music in seminary for a long time. But he had a uh, uh, an understanding of the majesty and the nobility of God that I'm sure I'll spend a lot of my life trying to wrap my mind around. But it made him very humble, hmm. and um, he talked a lot about prayer, but Prayer was a very different deal to him than it is to most people, I think, in the church. Uh, it was it was a very intimate time with him. And if he took you onto his prayer list, it's only because he prayed about it and he felt like the Holy Spirit gave him permission to put you on his prayer list. Wow. You know, he'd pray for you. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you right now. But to put you on his list, that mm -hmm. means you got prayed for every day. Mm -hmm. um, that was serious business to him uh, because he only had so many hours a day, and he spent a lot of time on his knees. Hmm. But more than that, I just saw the life of Christ in him in a very unique way. And I think that's, of all the mentors, I think that's one thing I've learned that I think all of us need to know, that God expresses himself through each of us uniquely. I believe there's one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And those who teach the gospel Many times we'll teach it in a unique way, but it's the one message. Some have gotten confused along the way, and they teach the gospel plus other stuff. Mm. And, you know, if you add anything to the gospel, then what you have is not the gospel. Yeah, It becomes a hybrid of something, and Paul speaks about that real plainly in Corinthians and Galatians and places like that. So you teach one message. That's the gospel. It's Jesus and Jesus alone, and his spirit living in you is the end result of the gospel. Um. But there's such a difference in, in uniqueness, like I was talking about even language skills. Every one of us is, I tend to use a lot of building illustrations, go mm -hmm. figure, right? I, right. I, I build stuff, you know. Uh, other people use other ways of 
saying it, acting skills or music skills or whatever. And, uh, you know, God is just so creative. He, you know, but there's been several along the way, not a huge group. I don't think we need a real huge group. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not time for that. Uh, but I believe that all of us need to have mentors and need to be mentors. Yeah. Uh, it's a baton race. We're it's a relay race. We're passing the batons. Um, yeah. Hmm. So I alluded to this earlier, but um, but I'll throw that out there anyway. If there okay. was if there was any decision that you made that you could change or alter or shift a little bit, <laughs> um, what would that be? I got to tell you, that's kind of an odd, a hard question for me. Yeah, because of the fact that I see. Uh, God using even the goofy things I've decided to do over the years. Um, there's one idea that rattles around in my head because I actually have 90 hours at OU. I didn't graduate. Mm. And I always thought, well, I should have graduated. You know, and I've thought about going back. I tried going back two different times and just life and family and expenses and all that kind of stuff sure. didn't work out. So that was kind of one. I wish I had, at times had pursued that, but I made peace with it one day when I literally read a verse in the scripture and talking about Jesus, the Pharisees said, how does this man become learned having never been educated? There's my verse. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Standing on the foundation of truth. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, uh, again, I think that's one of the hardest questions that I don't know what to do with because how do you go back and second guess what you did? Yeah. You know, it's like your your deal about going to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's times I wish I'd kept my 66 Chevrolet Impala. Sure. I have lamented that a lot. Man, <laughs> for me, it was a 72 Cutlass. And yes, sir, absolutely. I actually bought it from Jack Holt, that guy I worked um, for. Yeah. Two-door, 327. Oh, it was sweet. Mm. I wish I still had that, you know. But there's other decisions that I think are more... Uh, earth shattering, you know, about relationships. Sure. I wish I had handled differently. Uh, but I can't change the past. Right. But like I said a while ago, I can get stuck in it a lot and just muck around and wish I'd done this, thought I should have done that. Uh, this is the answer I should have given that person 30 years ago. Then I would have won the argument. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like it matters now. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, yeah. one of the reasons I even asked that question, cause I realize, like I said, most people have a similar response, but, but what I'm hoping that people glean from that are people who are living in regret, recognize that, that just, there's no value in that. Yeah. And, and I don't care what walk of life you're in, the folks that we've had on pretty much to every last one of them have said basically the same answer. In fact, the reason I don't take it off my show notes it's because I want to reiterate that over and yeah. over. Yeah. Of course, you can live there and regret decisions made, but no matter what happens, you're a product of your environment. You're, you've grown. You're going to learn something from it. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of experience that comes from it, and yeah. it's it's a valuable thing to get that. One of the only things I think I believe now about the past and the rearview mirror, mm-hmm. being able to look back, is being able to look back and see that God was there mm-hmm. when I didn't know he was there at the time. Uh, you know, like the footprints in the sand, that's the times I carried you. Yeah. Such a great little poem. And yeah, so that part's beneficial. 
uh, you can't change it. There's no use lamenting over it. Uh, I'm not calling it good, but it is what it is at this point. It's, it's part of the tapestry. It's a stroke of the brush on the painting. It's, it's there. Um, even Paul said he picked me so that in the chief of all sinners, hmm. he could really prove what his grace was all about. And, uh, I don't think he ever stood up and said, gee, I'm glad I killed Stephen. Right. You know, right. or man, I'm glad I did all this and that. And he, he was, he said, no, uh, but he, he talked about the grace of God and how good God's grace was. And, and, uh, that's our message. It's always going forward, a glance in the past only to, to see that God is faithful in spite of our past. Hmm. It's good. Yeah. All right, last question. A hundred years from now, what do you want people to say about Bruce Bartow? <laughs> he should have kept the 66 Impala. <laughs> <laughs> what would it be worth a hundred years from now? <laughs> Man, um, pearls of wisdom. That, that I knew that God was faithful and I told other people that he would be faithful to them so they could trust him. Mm. I believe Christ coming and dying and being buried and raised and all of that is part of God's faithfulness to us as humans when he said, I'm going to make you in my image. Mm. Because without that, the rest of it couldn't be. You know, that's, that's the crowning stroke of the whole process. Um, you know, so rather than fretting over, you know, what am I going to become? What am I going to be worth? It really is just knowing him and trusting him. And if people a hundred years from now would say, you know, he didn't know much, but he did know that God was faithful and you could trust him. Yeah. I would be delighted. Yeah. I think that you're, <laughs> you're pretty safe for getting that in response. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to be here a hundred years from now, so I don't know what You'll I would be say. Somewhere. I'll be somewhere. I won't be asked that question on planet earth probably. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a part of today's podcast, man. Having a conversation with me. You were my first conversation ever in real life. You remember that, right? That's good. I do. Uh, thank you to Bruce Bartow. Thank you for joining us here on the uh, conversations podcast and, um, have a good day. And remember that God loves you no matter what you think. It's the truth. All right. We'll see you next time. Again, thanks again. Uh, bye. Find more podcasts at streamgrace.com.